seated. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Missio Church. My name is Bernie. I'm one of the elders on staff here. Uh, it's a joy to be able to gather together as God's people on uh, the Lord's Day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be continuing through our series uh, in the book of Colossians. This morning we find ourselves uh, in verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. This is God's word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that as we uh, contemplate your word from Colossians chapter two, that your spirit would speak to us, that your spirit would clearly show us your son, Jesus Christ, and that the word would take root in our lives and bring forth fruit for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, I'm sure none of us have gotten enough of this pandemic, right? Like we just want more, right? So I figured this morning we'd take a step back in time and consider another health crisis. Uh, in the 1800s in both Europe and here in the United States, there were large epidemic outbreaks of cholera which killed thousands and thousands of people. Cholera is an infectious disease that uh, often leads to dehydration, and back then often led to the death of those who contracted it. And, and many at that time believed that cholera was caused by um, poisonous odors or smells in the air called miasmas. 
uh, that you would simply smell this and you would contract it. And the, these smells came from perhaps rotting corpses in the ground or maybe just garbage that had been heaped underground and the smell was uh, exhausting upward. So an effort was made to ventilate these smells or to curb these smells. Or if you couldn't do that, you would just simply stay away from those areas that had smells or where you saw people dying. Others said, no, 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 that's all wrong. And they believed that this, this uh, deadly epidemic was a result of germs from person-to-person -person contact that, uh, that happened through direct physical contact or from unsanitized surfaces. And so uh, efforts were made to limit interactions between people. And yet, despite most of these competing camps and all their efforts, people continued to die. Despite all their efforts to stop this epidemic, it continued. Thousands after thousands died because they were focused on the wrong thing all along. You see, focus on the wrong thing can be deadly. And as Christians, we can unwittingly be focused on and consumed by things that are not critical to our spiritual health, to our spiritual maturity, to our, our spiritual development, and thus be actually in grave danger. We can pursue all sorts of Ill illegitimate paths to religious certainty. We can embrace legalism. We can embrace mysticism. We can embrace asceticism. And, and so uh, we might wonder, if I haven't had the euphoric experience that that guy is describing, perhaps my belief, my convictions are just some cold, dead orthodoxy. Or uh, we might be in doubt as to whether uh, we can rightfully open God's word and read it after we've had an argument with somebody earlier in the day, whether it was a spouse or a coworker. We might wonder if we are ungodly because we don't adhere to somebody else's their list of rules or their, their spiritual boundary markers. And instead of fixing our hope on Christ, we, we embrace all sorts of illegitimate means for access to God. And we begin quickly to rely on false hopes, spiritual placebos that do nothing, nothing to aid our health in Christ. And in fact, if anything, distract us from him. And so Paul begins to address this illegitimate uh, quest for spiritual certainty in our text by calling the Colossians to resist having certain values imposed on them, values that in fact should not be values. Look at verse 16 and 17 with me. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So Paul is uh, talking to the Colossians and he is insisting that the things that they are focused on are shadows. Now think about shadows. Shadows point us to the presence of something in the vicinity, but they are not the thing itself, right? Uh, Shadows have a vague representation in form. You look down, uh, there's my shadow. 
I'm much prettier than that, right? Right. Uh, it gives you a vague outline of, of what I am, who I am, but it doesn't give you the details. It doesn't, it doesn't give you any color. And the laws pertaining to clean and unclean in the Old Testament, the laws calling for certain festivals and fasts in the Old Testament, even the Sabbath rest appointed by God in the Old Testament were meant to throw a shadow forward and point to Christ. Right? So these verses, verse 16, shows us that the Old Testament isn't some moralistic guidebook. It isn't some moralistic rule book. The Old Testament is, in fact, about Christ. It's pointing forward to Christ, rightly understood. But, Paul says, Christ and the life he provides are now here, and they show us what that shadow was really all about. It shows us the details and the color, right? So Christianity completes and fulfills the purpose of the shadows, the clean and unclean laws of the Old Testament, the festivals of Passover and Purim. And it would be foolish if my wife is standing in the room with me or we're standing outside. I don't know why we would be standing outside, but if we're standing outside and it would be foolish for me to continue to look at the shadow of my wife when she is standing right there in front of me. Shadows are, are temporary, inferior. They're, they're really unsatisfying. And since the sum and the substance of the Old Testament, the laws, the rituals, the observances, are found in Christ, no one in Christ should allow these shadows to obscure the great object of our faith, to obscure Christ in his beauty. So why do we not insist that people avoid eating crab rangoon, which would be an observance of the Old Testament law? Why do we not insist that people avoid wearing shirts with two different materials woven into it? Why do we not insist on the Old Testament ceremonial law because all those things were shadows intended all along to point us and show us the person and work of Jesus Christ. And following those things would thus deny the presence and the power of the person and work of Christ. So we must resist a faith that obscures Christ by embracing legalism. Legalism, that impulse to justify ourselves before God, to be right by, in, the, in the presence of God by our adherence or our conformity to commands, even if they're in scripture, that desire, that, that insistence that we are justified by what we do. It's a constant danger for us as the people of God. Legalism threatens to fix our attention on something that will not provide spiritual health or maturity or acceptance with God. So a legalistic mindset, we feel really safe when we're ticking off all the things that we're supposed to do, all the behaviors that we know are godly. Oh, I feel, I'm, I'm secure with God. I'm secure with God. But we feel a sense of despair and doubt 
when our lives veer off the path, when we sin, when we rebel against God's law, because after all, it depends upon me. But this, this focus, this obsession on legalism is an obsession with ourselves and not with Christ. And so this approach to God must be rejected. We must resist the faith that obscures Christ by embracing legalism. But the problem for the Colossians went far beyond that, focusing on the Old Testament law. Uh, it, Paul begins to talk in the next verses about uh, false teachers those who, uh, and those who followed them in Colossae, seeming to focus on mystical experiences. And they would suggest that those who didn't have these experiences or those who didn't seek these experiences were deprived of, of the riches of God's rewards. Look at verse 18 with me. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. He talks about the worship of angels. Now, whether these people were literally bowing down and worshiping angels as in idolatry, or whether they thought they were joining in um, the worship of angels, which was supposedly superior to the worship of the people of God, we don't know, but they, they're insisting on the worship of angels. He also said they go on in detail about visions. They were consumed by visions from God, revelations from God, words from God. All these people were getting words from God. But notice Paul assesses these things. And what is his assessment of these things? They're not wonderful. They're not amazing. They're not to be desired. What does he say? Look at the end of verse 18. They're puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind. How often do we hear people trumpet their experiences, their visions, their special revelation, their words from God? And, and maybe some of us wonder, why, don't, why doesn't that happen to me? What, why don't I get those? We, we might... We might think it sounds odd, but then at the same time, we feel sort of slightly cheated, possibly beginning to wonder about our own Christian maturity because we haven't had those experiences that other people are talking about. We, we feel frustrated by what we might consider a plain Jane approach to Scripture, knowing Christ through the Scriptures. Don't. Paul calls the, the pursuit of such things sensual, of the flesh, not godly at all. And so we see in this passage that we must reject a faith that distracts from Christ by embracing mysticism. But Paul contrasts this cheap and ineffective imitation with genuine growth. And he describes that in verse 19. Look at it and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. You see, friend, any true spiritual maturity that you will experience in your life will come 
from clinging to and being united to the person and work of Jesus. When I was in high school, actually the, the day after I graduated from high school, after I walked across, grabbed my diploma, I had um, surgery on my right knee for something called osteochondritis dissecans. And what that is, is it is a disease, uh, it's a joint condition in which the bone dies because blood stops flowing there. And so uh, the bone behind my kneecap literally died because it was in a sense disconnected from the rest of my body. There was no blood flowing there. And as I ran, the bone broke off and it began to tear things apart and cause all sorts of damage. Why did that happen? Because it was disconnected from the function and the health of my body. It was disconnected from the joints and ligaments of my body. And that's a picture of the importance of clinging to faith in Christ and Christ alone. We will wither and die apart from union with Christ. And the means God has ordained for pointing us to Jesus and nourishing us in him are often called the means of grace. In other words, they're avenues or they're, they're arteries or vessels of grace that God gifts to us. And those are the word, the preached word and reading the word and prayer and the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Think about it, in Romans 10, 17, Paul contends that faith and growing in faith comes what? By hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's a means of grace. You wanna grow in faith? The word of Christ. We don't think about it, but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul calls the Lord's Supper the cup of blessing. Do you want a spiritual experience? Do you want a spiritual blessing? Well, the Lord's table is open for us. Hopefully, we will be able to again partake of that very soon. But Christ is the one from whom growth comes, and we obtain him through the means of grace that God has given to us. And don't overlook the fact in this passage that Growth comes together as the church, corporately, not, not from individual experiences. It says, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together. You hear that? It's, it's not about you as an individual. There's no talk of individual growth here. True spiritual maturity happens in the body joined to Christ, the church. So there's no such thing as being, uh, quote unquote, spiritual, but not religious. That is, you are deceiving yourself if you think you can love, serve, follow, and grow in Christ apart from his church, his body. You're just like that bone in my knee. You're disconnected, you'll die, you'll wither. True maturity comes from union with Christ in the context of his body, the church. And so we must reject a faith that distracts from Christ by embracing mysticism. But Paul goes one step further here. Look at verses 20 and 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom 
in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul is, again, insisting on union with Christ. He's saying, we died with Christ. Those who have trusted in Christ, you died with Christ. When he died, all those who by faith are in him died. And thus we have died to the world around us, to the world system. Yes, we live in the world, but we're set free from all the constraints of the world. So all the rules, don't touch that, don't eat that, don't do that. Brother and sister in Christ, they exert no pull on us. You see, what Paul is describing is asceticism. That is a, a false humility that comes from really harsh self-treatment, from self-abasement. In the Middle Ages, they used to, monks used to flog themselves. Now, strict measures certainly make it look like we are doing something amazing. It certainly makes it seem like we are really serious about following Jesus. Look how committed we are. We aren't doing all these things. We're denying ourselves those things. But Paul says such asceticism, such restrictions are of no value. Not some value. They are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. They don't deal with sin, right? Those things are really, what they amount to is religious virtue signaling. They're of no value in curbing sin. They don't change our hearts. You remove things from your environment, sure, but you've not fundamentally changed your heart. You've actually enslaved yourself to something new, something from which Christ has set us free as the people of God. Now, please don't hear me. We are, of course, supposed to honor Christ the Lord with our bodies. We are not to drink to drunkenness. We are not to give in to sexual immorality, but these are God-given responses by grace as the Spirit enables. They do not guarantee salvation. If we were to all live celibate lives, it would not guarantee salvation or secure grace. It wouldn't stop the corruption of our heart. True transformation comes from Christ and from him alone. And so we must reject a faith that belittles Christ by embracing asceticism. That cholera outbreak in London that we talked about where people continued to fixate on all the wrong things until a British physician called John Snow mapped out on a, on a street map where literally every case of cholera occurred in London. And it allowed him to pinpoint the source of the disease. It was contaminated water from a pump in the street. And he finally convinced, amidst these warring parties about what was causing cholera, he finally convinced the government to take away the handle so that people could no longer pump water from that pump. And guess what? The disease outbreak stopped. Once they fixed their focus on the proper thing, they found health and well-being. And when we fix our focus on Christ, we grow 
We mature. We're nurtured in our faith. Friend, if, if the substance of Christianity belongs to Christ and the growth comes from union with Christ and transformation is owed, uh, is owed to Christ in his work, may we as the people redeemed by Christ cling to Christ, right? There is no spiritual health, maturity, or growth independent of the personal work of Jesus, none. You see, because true Christianity is not marked by conformity to spiritual disciplines, nor by heightened spiritual experiences, nor by harsh self-treatment, but by connection to our head, Christ Jesus. And so Christianity calls us to a person, not to a list of practices, not to a set of prohibitions, See, Colossians 2, 16 through 23 is about tossing out the dew of religion and embracing, clinging ruthlessly to the who of our faith, Jesus. Paul doesn't say, here are three easy steps, three mechanical steps to maturity in Jesus. He says, stop chasing shadows. Start dwelling on substance. We're to hold fast to our head, Jesus. Because Christianity calls us to a person, not a list of practices or a set of prohibitions. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must make use of the means of grace appointed to us, ordained to point us, Christ's people, to Jesus so that we might trust in him and grow in him. Listen to the word, read the word, pray. We must repent of Christless practice, practice that, uh, practices or prohibitions which, um, which cause us to put our trust in them, to look at ourselves and not Jesus. And there might be one or two of you, some of you, who have never yet put your complete hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you're dabbling with ways and means to get to God and to be accepted by God. But the message of Christianity is the victory of God over death and sin by the person and work of Christ. And we can share in that victory by faith and by faith alone. And so I'd urge you, friend, to end all the other quests Stop pursuing all other paths and trust in Christ alone this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for warning us of the dangers of things that distract, that threaten, that harm. Thank you for showing us our source, our treasure, Christ Jesus. Father, would you, by the work of your spirit, convince us of the foolishness, the destructiveness, the, the illegitimacy of any other means to, to spiritual growth and development apart from our Savior, Christ Jesus. Convince us of that. Fix our eyes on our exalted Lord.
Show us his supremacy. Satisfy us in him and assure us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.